The MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. Get started today and you'll get a risk-free bet of up to $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. We're also brought to you by Coors Light. When you're sweating out your bets, remember to take some time to chill and grab the perfect cold refreshment, Coors Light. And finally, we're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy is home to the Best Ball Mania 2 contest where you can win a million dollars. That's right, a million dollars. Sign up now at underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. That's underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Howdy ho, DeGenerinos, and welcome back, or welcome to the MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Podcast. I'm messing up already. How about Podcast Network? It would be called the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Episode number 42, so obviously it has to be dedicated to, you, you probably want to say Elton Brand, but no, we'll, we'll say uh, Jackie, Jackie Robinson, obviously. <laughs> Jackie Robinson rates a little higher than Elton Brand, I think, in in general um, sports fans' hearts. Let's say that. Um, this person who's struggling to talk, his name is Jeff Fox, and I am the host of this show, surprisingly. You'd think they would get someone who could talk properly, but no. They got this old Canadian who's stumbling over his words. I am the editor, or a editor, and writer at sportsgamblingpodcast.com. I also run the MMA-manifesto.com. If you want MMA-specific stuff, including some gambling advice, uh, you can head over there, and we have a free pick'em contest we run for every event that you can win really swell prizes for. So um, get over there, all you degens. Um, what else do I have to say to you? Um, I do have a co-host here on the – or actually, he's not a co-host. We upgraded him. I don't know why. We kind of did on the air. We upgraded him to a associate host which i think sounds funnier so i think that's why we did it um his duties have not changed whatsoever he's still the same the same guy who laughs at, at my jokes sometimes and sighs at them sometimes we haven't had a sigh for our oof for a little while a little while though so um he's the king of the oof he's the king of the gogo plata he claims to be the greatest practitioner in the world of the gogo plata um off off air when he gets on air he gets all uh, shy about it but that's what he claims um, what else is he good at? Um, good at copying, naming children from me. Good at copying, getting mental dogs like I have. What else does he copy me on? I th- that might be about it. Um, he's a little worse at picking, picking, uh, fights than I am. So he hasn't quite copied me on that, but, but we'll get into that soon enough. I'm sure. Um, and he's not as good at as uh, introductions as I am. If you listen to his other two podcasts, uh, Top Turtle MMA or The Premium Picker, he p- pretty much gets right to it. He, like he introduces a person with like a sentence, and then that's it. Um, I prefer to keep talking and talking and talking and keeping him on edge. And then all of a sudden, just out of blue, I'll say, "It's Daniel Gummy Vreeland." Hi, Dan. Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> well, how was that? You got angry last night. You get you get upset when it's too long and upset when it's too short. So hopefully, that, I hit the that, sweet spot you, there for you. You were right there. You were right there in the perfect sweet spot. I also thought for sure, other than saying Elton Brand, you were either going to say uh, Mariano Rivera 
or and, uh, or or Mo Vaughn. Do you know Mo Vaughn? Oh, I remember Mo Vaughn, of yeah, course. Mo of course, Vaughn you, wore, you do. Being a... he, he wore 42 for far too long. Mo Vaughn was one of those guys we stocked up on his car, rookie cards when he was coming up because we thought he was going to be a superstar, and it didn't quite pan out. Well, because he, looked he was like, all right. He, he looked like one of those like crazy muscle-bound rookies and just slowly descended yeah. into fat DH by the time he had retired. <laughs> Chunky, he turned into a, our favorite Chunky guys. Um, chunky guys not you, as fun in baseball, though, is it? No, because everybody is. <laughs> Everybody's Chunky in baseball. So now I'm looking up Movon's stats. Of course, this is what uh, this, is, this is what this devolves into. He was a uh, All Star three times. So he was already he won MVP. Really, he won MVP I, I in 1995. I would have never guessed that. <laughs> you live in you live in that area, and you were yeah, old hate, enough to yeah, realize that. Sox, so <laughs> that's true. He had 39 homers, 126 RBIs, 963 OPS, 300 batting average. He really uh, 11 stolen bases. Imagine that. Crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have get. Well, I would have guessed the stolen bases because, like, early in his career, he was actually, you know, like in shape. Uh, like I said, he descended into uh, chubby guy dumb pretty quickly. Top top five MVP three times. He won the MVP the one year. Huh. Imagine that. So this is where I guess we've kind of tipped our hand off that we don't have anything planned for this episode. <laughs> so that's why we're that's why we're talking about Mo Vaughn. Um, we did mention Chunky Guys. Did you see the an Ultimate Chunky Guy fight just got announced? I believe on the weekend, yes, Saturday. I think it was announced. Maybe oh, no. officially. How, how did did you I, see that? How did I miss a Chunky Guy announcement that you got to before? Oh, is oh, it Chris? Oh, maybe? it's Chris. It's Chris Dawkins yeah. versus Shmuel Durakimov. Yes, no, I did see that. Yes. Yeah, so I'm not sure if we had talked about that before because, you know, sites, uh, you know, release these these uh, fight things all at different times, it seems. So it may, we may have talked about it before. But, but, yeah, I saw a picture. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And they showed the, the two of them together. and like, wow, like a split screen type of thing. Like, this is going to be a dream come true for us when I, we get to break down that fight. I have a question for you. Chris Dawg is, yes. n- not, to, not to harken back to our last couple episodes too hard, is, is he loose, Chunky? Yes, I would say that. Yeah, he, he's not. He's not really a fat guy. No, but he, but he's not really not a fat guy either. <laughs> no, man. If anybody, if any of these guys ever listen to this show, we're in. We're like body shaming man. them for the whole time. Exactly. We're not. If you're into a couple of straight guys body shaming uh, <laughs> men's, men's physiques, then this is the podcast for you because that's basically where every episode's uh, devolves into. Um, what should we talk about this? We got. I guess I hinted last week that we were, um, or last episode actually, we do twice twice a week for all y'all out there. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you do subscribe to the MMA Gambling Podcast feed. Um, pretty sure I keep I keep threatening it, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be off the main feed fairly soon because um, we want want you all onto our uh, exclusive feed here. Um, most of the podcasts on that network are splitting, or a lot of them are splitting off to their own feeds once they get established. So um, thank you for helping us get established, their listeners. So. I think we were going to go kind of go into our process to picking fights and seeing if we can nitpick and, and figure out ways that we can get better. Or are we actually as good as, as we could expect to get picking every fight? Um, I think maybe we'll head down that road. What are you thinking? I, I like that too. We can recap a little bit of what happened this weekend too, because there were a whole bunch of UFC oh, right. vets who blew up the spot too. Um, I, I was going to, I was going to ask you what you watched this speaking. Okay. Um, Let's let's do that first. But first, win bet, of course, everyone. 
WinBet is bringing you the action of real sports betting with the Win Las Vegas experience. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports games. Jonas promos, odds, and parlays are happening right now at WinBet. Get started today and you'll receive a special offer up to $500 risk-free sports bet. Terms and conditions apply. Get details at wynnbet.com. Okay, um, Dan, who, even though there was no real major promotions uh, running MMA this this past weekend, um, I'm sure Dan watched plenty of MMA still, did you not? Yeah, I watched, uh, I, I said I was going to watch XFC, which I did uh, right. on Friday. That was a, a fun card. They're on Fox Sports now in the States, or Fox Sports 2, I think it was, technically. Um, not a huge card, only seven fights. Actually, um, Chris Barnett was supposed to fight on that card um, in a super heavyweight 300-pound fight. Um, and his opponent still did fight, uh, who was Brett Martin, who is an LFA guy. And I think the combined weight of the two guys in the fight was like 606 pounds, uh, if you haven't gotten it, yeah, if you haven't gotten a chance to like look at, it was Marino Eastman, Eatman, his actually, his last name is Eatman. Uh, it's so good. That's Mar- amazing. Marino Eatman. I've heard of Eat More. <laughs> I've heard Eat More as a lot of thing, but I haven't heard Eatman. That's yeah, good. Both of those work. But yeah. Eatman, Eat both of them weighed in over 300 pounds. I think one was 301 and one was like 305 or something like that. Um, so just like the sloppiest, biggest, uh, chunky guy. They walked in and I was like, there's no way this is a heavyweight fight, and they show the little tail of the tape, and they're both 300, so that was great. Uh, but then uh, three UFC vets just kind of had amazing days. Kurt Hollibaugh, who was uh, one of the original guys to get a contract on the Contender Series, um, and then had a, a tough run in the UFC, went in and just absolutely crushed um, this like Mexican prospect, up-and-coming Mexican prospect. Uh, I don't know if you know Bobby Nash T. Nash. Um, his nickname. Uh, yeah, I've heard of him. I think. Yeah. yeah. His, his nickname's Nash T. Nash T. Yes, I've heard. I've heard of the Nash T. Nickname. Yes. So it's so bad. But he was in the UFC too. He lost, I think, all right. three of his fights in the UFC. But to like good guys again, he fought like Lee Jung Long and uh, Danny Roberts and people like that. He went in and just knocked somebody clean out again, which is uh, a sweet one. And then the main event was. I mean, I guess a UFC vet had to win, but Jose Alberto Quinones took it to Andre Sukumta in, like, a fun decision fight. So, yeah, it, it was uh, – that was a fun card. And I would say, too, if you um, didn't get a chance to watch Combate Global, that would have been a good one, too, because they had a one-night tournament, not only including UFC vets, but including a WEC vet uh, who made it all the way to the finals, Francisco Rivera. Do you remember Francisco Rivera? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I'm looking at that fight card right now, right, as you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah he, he won fought, two fights fought, and lost in the finals. Yeah, and he lost in the finals to kind of like a newbie, too, which is um, is just pretty crazy because yeah, uh, six and one, yeah. Guy, guy with not a lot of fights. But, yeah, Francisco Rivera, of course, had fought like a who's who lineup in the UFC and before that was in WEC, like Takeo Nijigaki and Uriah Faber and Brad Pickett and John Lineker, um, which is a, it, it even knocked out Alex Caceres. So he had like a – a really fun run there, and he he took, I think he took five years off, if I'm remembering right, before he started fighting again this year, um, and he won at the beginning of the year, and then was in this tournament, and damn near won the whole thing before he got, you know, derailed by uh, by this you know Mexican prospect who nobody had ever heard of. He came in at like three and one, and won three fights in a night, um, including a head kick knockout. So yeah, that I, I caught the end of that. That was a really fun uh, fun tournament as well. 
and Dan does have a family and, and a, <laughs> a regular job and uh, and an extra job plus all this stuff, and he still watches um, Combate Global and and whatever else. Uh, did you see any – is there any prospects that we should keep an eye on that you saw this weekend, or was it basically UFC, UFC vets crushing – uh, these young prospects. Well, I mean, I guess it, the the guy who won that tournament, David Martinez, is is probably worth keeping an eye on, especially because Combate keeps sending guys to the UFC too. Who I, I don't think they've got a great record in their debuts. Um, I think somewhat because they all kind of have taken short notice fights, but like all of them have been hyper hyper active in like you know like wild men in there, really fun to watch. Like Marcelo Rojo is a good example. Like that guy went in there. And just tossed hands for 15 minutes. And yeah, he didn't win, but like a lot of fun to watch. So I think that type of of um, prospect is probably in Combate too. Um, but the only other one I thought of is, while well, I just said he weighed 300 pounds and looked ridiculous, Brett Martin is 10-1. He's a heavyweight. He looks adequate. Um, and pretty much that's all you need in order to make it to the UFC heavyweight. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him sign there for a fight in, I don't know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him on the contender series, put it that way. Are any of them savages that you saw, though? Maybe the Martinez kid? Is he a savage yeah, or I mean, a beast like, or I mean, a killer? Head, head kicking a veteran like Francisco Rivera out cold during your third fight of the night, I guess probably puts you pretty close there. Um, and he's young. and, and, and it's, Yeah, so maybe he's a savage. But, again, I think uh, I think a lot of that just has to do with time. We'll, 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 the, the jury's kind of out on him before we, we really know. Okay, so no, uh, we can't really say there are savages yet. Okay, that's fine. No, I, we'll, didn't, uh, I didn't see any savages. Or beasts, or beasts, or, or beast, killers, man. or I think that's it. All right, so uh, how do we how do we pick winners for fights? First of all, should we be happy with our results? Um, overall, we're picking every fight. Uh, so we've picked a hundred and well of the fights that actually happened. We were almost at two hundred fights for the year, one hundred ninety six. Um, I hit fifty five percent. You hit fifty two percent. Should we be happy with that? I always think like I should hit 60%, but then when you see people who are picking other sports every every um, every game, they seem to like be happy if they're just like over 50% or so. So maybe we should be happy with this. Maybe I'm, I'm hoping for too much. I, I think – so I, I'm not 100% satisfied with it, right, because in order to, to turn a profit, if you were doing this ridiculous pattern that we are – You'd probably have to be close to sixty to sixty-five percent, right, to be to be even, um, because some of these guys are massive favorites. So even if we're over over, we're probably still not winning money. Um, and again, we we say that if you're a true DGM, this is the way to do it. But like if you're looking to win money, uh, this is probably not the best way to do it. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. It's probably not. So uh, yeah, like I I would say that first and foremost. But I would also say. I think uh, our pick process and everything has been uh, better than the results show because, like, like I said at the very beginning of that year when we were putting, you know, god-awful numbers up on the board, uh, I think a lot of that was due to just kind of how fluky the results were to start, right? Like, underdogs were over 500 after, like, three events or something like that, which you never see in, in MMA, um, even right. though MMA is a fluky sport. You, you never see it quite that much, so... I would say, given uh, the background of, of how things have gone, I would say we shouldn't be all that upset, but there are definitely things uh, that we could tweak. Now, is 
We were talking about um, actually making money this way. I'm down, what, 2,900? You're down 2,800 of real money, of course, because we're playing with our real, real money, 100 bucks every fight, of course. We wouldn't lie to you people and uh, suggest you do stuff when we're not doing ourselves. Um, but is there a way to make, make money betting on every fight, you think, other than getting extremely lucky and nailing, like, there's, what, about three or four underdogs per this underdogs come, we're coming through 34%. So that's, you know, about a third. So fight cards stay there about 12 fights. If you can, if you hit other than hitting L four underdogs, is there, a, you think, is there a way to make money off this? Cause it looks like at least in our, uh, our results, uh, there isn't a real legitimate way of, of throwing basically spamming, uh, spamming your bets and, and playing everything uh, on a fight card um, and, and still winning money. I would say the the thing about that is, and it's hard to say this is like just like with a definitive answer out front, because I think the answer to that largely depends on the type of fight cards you have. Uh, because like if you have a, a fight card where, you know, l- let's talk about a standard looking Bellator fight card uh, where, you know, there are six favorites who are negative 800 or better. Um, you know, not to insult Bellator, but some of their matchmaking on the prelims is fucking ridiculous. Uh, and if that's true, like they're all negative 600s and 800s and negative 1200s, there, there's really not a way other than to just make sure that any underdog that hits you're on it. Um, uh, because otherwise you're, you're not going to make any money because even the ones you're winning, you're winning like $10 on a hundred dollar bet. So, uh, I would say on those type of cards, no, on the type of cards we've seen out of the UFC for the last two or three weeks, obviously with this past Saturday's, uh, you know, being eventless, uh, nonwithstanding, the other two weekends prior had very tight odds all the way up and down it. Right. Um, so I think they're, you know, just playing safely and, and getting a majority of them right. You wind up profiting. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure you did on one of the cards. Uh, and, and it wasn't like you didn't even have to put out an ups- outstanding number, right? Like you think you were like seven and four or something like that, and it was still good enough to be profitable. So no, I lost. I, I still lost forty bucks. So uh, I was almost. So, yeah, so almost. But, but like without, almost profitable. <laughs> without like having a phenomenal number, you were still like borderline profitable, right? Like you're what, one fight away from from having a decent yeah. decent back roll. So I would say. I would say it largely depends on what the UFC is putting together. If we're, we're seeing Amanda Nunes fights, you're not going to make any money off of Amanda Nunes. You're never going to make any money off an Amanda Nunes fight. Uh, so, like, I, I would say, uh, yes, this, while while it's maybe not the recommended model, because I will say, having done it for this long and starting to get borderline frustrated with that, like, looking at your numbers and being like, damn, I had another great week this week, and being like, you won $37. <laughs> right. Damn. Um. I would say, yeah, it's definitely not the best method, but I do think there's probably a path to being profitable on certain cards. Uh, and obviously, well, we, we tell you that you're you're uh, married to this uh, this format yet to bet 100 bucks. So obviously you can bet as little or as much as you want per fight. So if you're really high on one, you can obviously um, throw more money on that. And if you don't like one fight, you can always uh, steer clear of it. But we, so I don't know if if we should change up how we're how much money we're allocating for um for each fight we're betting or if that's going to make it too complicated for people and they just they just care to hear who we think is going to win a fight. I mean, I think I think the the process that we do is and and maybe we're 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 peeling back the fourth wall a little bit too more here. 
I think the 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 process of forcing somebody to do this is is enlightening, right? Like, yeah, there, there are so many shows out there who who tell you, oh, I don't know, I would lay eight hundred units on Amanda Nunes to win three dollars, um, and they're like, oh, look, I was profitable this last event, and you're like, yeah, of course you were, uh, you know, like it's easy to just pick that, but like, you know, this is a good way of looking at every single matchup, and also, you know, like like you said, we we give you. We give you this is what we would do with $100 if we were putting it on every single fight. I mean, like, when we put it on every single fight, right, because we obviously do that. Um, yes. This is what we would do, right, with $100, but there, there are guys we're obviously high on. Uh, you know, like Jeff's locks you should listen to each and every week. You should ignore mine. Yep. Um, but, like, there are good parlays. There are good props in there, too, that, that we've hit. Um, and playing that kind of stuff is really – if you want to get money in on every single fight, too, remember the the best method probably isn't just betting every fight straight up. There's over-unders, right. there's props, there's this and there's that. And that's why we try to give you that insight, too, while, you know, that's not exactly what we're tracking for ourselves and, and competitively as I uh, edge out Jeff in the money line. Um, a little bit. A little bit. It, it might it's be because, one, it might be one because, fight. It might be because Montserrat Ruiz, right? Is that the the one I yes, have? Montserrat Ruiz. One. And she's coming up. She's fighting again soon, right? I'm gonna yep. have to. I think I'm gonna have to bet her every single time she ever fights. You owe it to her, yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, like, I think she, she's, uh, especially if I beat you on the year by by some amount. Although is she fighting? <laughs> is she fighting Amanda Lemos? She may be, yes. That's not um, a good fight uh, if she is. Um, <laughs> let's let's uh, get, as as the top turtle says, let's get the intern on it and oh, yeah. find out. Put the, in, put the intern Ma- on it. Montserrat Conejo Cone- Ruiz is indeed fighting Amanda Halemos next. So Le- are you Le- going to Lemos, know, uh, Lemos, you got to say it with Le- an H at the end. If it's Lemon, Lemos, it's true, there's an H, yeah. But she, you did hit her. What she was two, plus two seventy five. So I think you're obligated. Yeah, um, I, I owe that to her for the rest <laughs> of her life. Although Lemos is a, is a beast too. I'm pretty sure I've won pretty much off of. Yeah, I'm like for real though. Like she fought up at, at bantamweight for a little while. In uh, well, not for a little while. She she made her debut up there against Leslie Smith, who's uh, you know, no slouch. And then she no. popped for she popped hot, and then came down to her rightful weight class, and since then is three and zero. So, um, yeah. I, I think I have to pick Ruiz for the rest of my life, but uh, that's a bad matchup. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as for our locks, uh, I'm killing it on the locks. I'm 8-3, and three, so I don't think I have to change anything there. Up 17%, which I think you can't sneeze at either. Uh, you're 5-6, and six, down 26%. You, what, where are you going wrong with your locks? You just bad, bad locks? We're only talking 11 fights, or it was, what, 12 weeks? I think we uh, one of them fell through, the first one fell through. I think, um, I think my biggest problem with this is uh, is that I, I've probably been trying to take numbers that are too close. Like, okay. when, I, when I'm looking at, and I thought about this, because you, you had mentioned, not that we do pre-production, we've never done pre-production. No, we don't. Life, but you did mention that we wanted to, to peel the curtain back on a little bit that we were picking, and so I, I did take some time to reflect on what has been bad about my picks. And they're not bad. I'm getting more than 50%, right? Um, you should you should always listen to me. Um, so, but the, the on the locks, I think I'm just, I've constantly been searching for somebody in that like negative 130 range so that when it, you know, the money comes back on it, it's coming back around 65, 70 bucks. Instead of somebody at the negative 200 range where you're coming back at the, 
you know, negative $42 or something or positive $42 on the return. So yeah, I, I think, I think some of it is just like not picking the person I'm most sure about with, you know, value on their odds. I've been picking the person who is closest to even money. You know, like when I took Jamie Pickett, I did like Jamie Pickett or mostly I just hate Jordan Wright. Um, and like, did I have a really good feeling in my heart about Jamie Pickett? Hell no. Um, you know, he, he lost two or three times on the contender series. So like, is he an elite level UFC talent that I can feel good about picking every time? Definitely not. Uh, but I was like, Oh, he's like even money or better. Um, so like if I use him as a lock, I'm going to, you know, get plus one twelve in my lock column. And you know, like, I think I've been thinking a little bit too much about that. Um, and, uh, I think I just need to lean, feel free to pick somebody negative 180 or negative 200 or negative 220, um, just in make it a legit lock rather than uh, being too fancy. Yeah, I was gonna say lock is supposed to be your safe pick, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And instead of, uh, I I got off on a hot run, so now I'm making very conservative picks because I want to because I'm already up, up money, but. I think you may be trying to uh, dig your way back too fast, which obviously is what gamblers do, right? They uh, they, they double up their, their efforts to, to try to get back money that, that's already out the window. So, um, yeah, maybe the lock pick has to be a, a safer pick. Not that I want to give you advice to beat me in this fun little contest of ours, but, um, yeah, I always view it as – I try not to take the man noons of the world, minus 1,200 or whatever, but I still want to pick one that's – Decent money coming back, but I always try to pick one I, I feel safest safest on winning, winning an actual fight, regardless of the line. Yeah, and I think that's probably the intention I had going in, and you're, you're 100% right with the quote-unquote dig-yourself-out mentality. That's <laughs> yeah. It's just a mentality you fall into, and, and uh, you know, sometimes a, a week off from looking at the lines is helpful to remember that. You know what else, you know what else might help you, Dan? Relaxing with the Coors Light. Do you ever feel like you're? You ever feel like you're always on, Dan? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? Which be which be normally another UFC event for us to uh, to break down. Uh, there's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. That way, you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you Want to hit reset? Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Light Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate responsibly. How was that for a segue? Pretty, pretty slick, eh? It was very well done. <laughs> All right. Um, it, you were um, you were talking about Bellator and stuff. Do you ever play other? Um, if if you are willing to give away this info, do you ever? Uh, that other promotions other than UFC and is there money to be made in other smaller promotions or even regional promotions? Yeah. So what I do uh, on, and I try to stay away from the real small promotions like LFA is probably as small as I go. Um, okay. And, and it's hard to find lines for anything smaller than that anyway, without like, you know, belonging to 30 books or something like that. But I would say, you know, like for Bellator or, um, you know, PFL, things like that. For me, I like to look at those, in, and again, I, I think because there are such large mismatches so often, um, 
it, it's it feels impossible to go take any money home going there and just betting a, a few favorites, um, you know, and getting anything substantial because there are upsets in, in pretty large lines. I think it's mostly just shopping for, like, fun underdog numbers. You know, like, recently I really liked that Henan Faria versus uh, Fabrizio Verdum, so I had, like, a little bit on him. Uh, he was, like, plus 220 against Fabrizio Verdum. Um, in in uh, he won slash didn't win, um, so you can take that with whatever it is. Um, but I think on the regional circuit in like Bellator, you know, like one of my my favorite bet Bellator bets was betting against uh, Hoist Gracie's son uh, when he was fighting this like northeastern local guy named Trevor Goody, who's despite his last name not all that good. Um, and he was like plus four fifty. And, and he wound up winning by a knee that was like almost kind of fluky. But I, I think you know, like if you're you're out there shopping for like fun underdogs that just make the night a little bit more interesting, that that's like kind of what I use small promotions for. I, I don't ever think of it as like you know like trying to find value at like a negative seven hundred favorite or looking for a guy at two seventy who actually is worth two seventy. Like th- those numbers on on a lot of those regional shows are all kind of crazy. Do you find numbers are more uh, out of whack with these, or, or do you find any any numbers that jump off the screen at you? Like, wow, this is uh, this is handicapped all wrong because there's you would assume there's a lot less money coming in to actually fine tune and adjust adjust the the line to where it should be. I would say no. Uh, I don't no? find all that many unless I jump on them early or, like I said, I like an underdog because I, I feel like what you find a lot on some of these shows, and I could be completely wrong, but in my anecdotal evidence on a lot of these, what I've noticed is anybody who is a favorite going into the fight tends to get money dumped on them no matter what. Um, so, the, so the line just gets wider and wider and wider and wider. So, it, like I said, if you'd like an underdog, it's fine. There will probably be a bigger underdog pretty soon. Um, but, like, you, you see a lot of these guys, you know, like the, the big Russian guys who show up on a Bellator prelim against some no-name who's 2-2. Two and two. Uh, and then, like, or, you know, like, they they hire their 80th, you know, D1 wrestler commit, you know, straight into the MMA. And they're super hyped, you know, the future Aaron Picos. Uh, LFA just had one of those. His name's Bryce Meredith. He's from Wyoming, University of Wyoming, trained to the lab. Same thing. Like, they come in as a favorite because they're fighting somebody they should be, and they've got a great pedigree, and they open it negative 300, but everybody knows them because they got a little bit of hype, plus they've got a crazy Russian name or a D1 pedigree. You just wind up seeing that number float up to, like, negative 500 or negative 650 or something like that. So I would say, like, unless you jump on them early, you don't find that. And, like, again, I, I keep an eye on all of the UFC lines for the most part fairly early, a couple weeks ahead of time or three weeks ahead of time. But I don't – like – Despite the fact that you joke that I have seemingly unlimited time to watch MMA all the time, <laughs> I have a family and a job, and, and and I do other things outside. I do still train jujitsu occasionally, so like, uh, it's impossible to do all of those things and keep an eye on, uh, you know, Cage Titans opening lines, uh, you know. So like, yeah, I I don't see those until they're like it's like game time, and then that's why maybe I feel. Uh, the the value is really only on the underdog there. You have a lot of jobs. I was just going through like your jobs in my head. Like, <laughs> you, you may not realize that you have a you have a regular job, then you have your other job that you're doing right now uh, a- after your normal job, and then you have what two podcasts, and then you have all the writing you do also. 
Yeah, I, I have a lot. Of three jobs. podcasts. I'm sorry, yeah, three podcasts, and then all, all the writing you do. So yeah, you have a lot of jobs, man. Yeah, and it yeah yeah I do, <laughs> and I enjoy watching. Hard... I enjoy watching sports that aren't MMA too. Like we, I mean, you could tell yep. every time we joke on here about uh, MLB or whatever we're joking about yep. that day. Like, I mean, I do watch a lot of baseball too. So hey, um, if if. If we didn't already have a really awesome MLB gambling podcast, uh, I, I would be pitching us to take over that too. But it's pro- probably good that uh, Malcolm and uh, Moonoff are doing that because uh, I think we have enough on our plate as it is. So um, what else was it going to ask you? All right, so you say you like uh, jumping on lines early before they adjust often, but um, we've also suggested if you are betting against a Conor McGregor-type uh, character, then then you should jump on those lines late. Obviously, um, do you ever do live in uh, in fight betting? I, I sometimes look at those lines to see, or they sh- they're constantly showing them now on UFC broadcasts. I, I like to see that to see whether or not I think my bet's going to win. Because uh, regardless of what the the commentators or anybody else says, I still think the uh, bookmakers and the gamblers are going to give you the truest picture on who actually is going to win the fight or, or who they project is going to win the fight. So um, do you ever do any live betting or do you check those, uh, those, uh, those live lines as the fight is going on ever? So I, I look at them sometimes for the same reason you do is I look, I, I think you're right. I think bookmakers have a better sense of like who's winning the fight or at least like better at gauging what a, uh, like a judge is looking at. Because right. because they have higher stakes in it, right? Like most of the, the yep. commentators, they go in with a narrative and they want to pump that narrative out and stuff like that. But like ultimately, like and they they try to be unbiased. I'm not saying any of them are intentionally biased, but all of them have tr- have trained with one of those fighters or one of their coaches or one of their friends or they've got a friend who now trains with that guy or like you know like they they have connections. They're in the fight world. Half of them have been fighters. They, they've watched their fights before, and, and we're only human, right? Like, we all have fighters that we, we gravitate towards. So I, I think the bookmakers do a better job at, at telling who's winning. And, and again, really, that one's a hard one for me to, to find any interest in because similar to, like, the Bellator numbers, is there something to, to – is there a reason to feel good about things? Yeah, there, there is a reason to feel like this fighter is going to win or not. But, like, at the same time – there's a reason they're a negative 300 favorite with a round to go. It's because yeah. they're probably going to win the fight. It's MMA, so, like, anything could happen. But, like, why would you even feel interested in the underdog at that number? Um, and, like, again, the the return on the investment there is just so small that I, I – it winds up deterring me. So I like looking at those numbers. I feel bad for the guy who used to tweet him every time and get his tweets shown in the corner. And now right. they just put him right into the broadcast. I think it was – is it Jedi Goodman? Yes, like, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, like poor bastard, like had his tweets up there all the time, and now they just be, made it part of the show without even giving him credit for it. So, um, yeah, like I, I like looking at him for the same reason as you. I think. How have you noticed how quickly do they change? Like, if you see someone moving into a submission, does the line change super fast, or can you can you jump in on something if you? If you see a guy setting a guy or gal setting up in, uh, on a submission, because sometimes it takes a while for like Antonina Shevchenko, that that took forever before she actually got finished in that fight. Is there is there a chance to ever? Uh, you may not know the answer. To this is there a chance to ever hop in on these before the line gets adjusted? I, I've seen mostly when when like rounds start, there's like large chunks of time where it locks. 
so you can't you okay, can't, okay while they're yeah. while they're like waiting to adjust it um you know like you, you see that sometimes if you're like looking at live lines in nba um right which, which i actually think is a little bit uh more beneficial not that i'm again touting that everybody should follow my advice for gambling on sports that aren't mma um because we have great shows that tackle all of those topics of uh which are not uh hosted by either of us but uh in those cases like you can see a run is about to happen in basketball or you can be like ah they just turned the ball over a couple of times or got cold real quick that you know like lillard's gonna start hitting soon there's no way he's gonna stay this cold the whole time so like you know that but like in an MMA fight, if somebody didn't get going in the first two rounds, like being like, "Oh yeah, he's due in the third round," is just like not a thing. Um, yeah. How often do we actually see that? Um, like, how often do we actually see a fighter like we saw Anderson Silva, obviously uh, against Chael Sonnen, but that stands out probably because it was such a rare thing. How often do we actually see someone uh, pull off a miraculous comeback at, at the end of a fight? I it's. Like they always say, well, you're always, you're always in, and that's why that's always the um, the corner and the, the coach's excuse for never throwing in the towel or stopping fights because the fighter could pull it out. But you know, how often does that really happen? I don't have numbers here, um, but you know, like I think you can count on one hand uh, recently how often the fighters actually turn it around and and pull it out a pull a victory from the jaws of defeat. Yeah, I feel like first of all, it's like never. Um, right. And second of all, I'm not even sure Anderson Silva qualifies under that. I'd have to go back and watch that fight. But, like, he he got taken down a bunch of times, but he never looked like he, like, wasn't in that fight, right? Like, was Shale Sonnen hitting him with ground and pound? Was Shale Sonnen tagging him on the feet? You know, like, I even feel like in that fight, you, you like, kind of had a sense that Anderson could win whenever. Um, plus, he's Anderson freaking Silva. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, it, I, I don't know that I've ever seen... I mean, like, there's the odd chance where a guy has clearly won rounds one and two, but you can tell his cardio is waning, and you're like, I yeah. don't know, maybe the other guy will finish him. Um, which is sometimes when you see those, like, those draws where you see 10-9, 10-9, 8-10 uh, in the last round. Right. Yeah, like, yep. that, you're right. That The, like, big, wild – I'm pretty sure – was Darren Till one of those? Darren Till, Nick Dalby. That's a good one. Uh, there you go. I drew one back up from my memory bank. Darren Till's draw go. with Nick Dalby, uh, is like one of the only real examples of this I can tell. But yeah, you you don't right? Like this is just not one of those situations. So, um, yeah. So that's why I hate the live lines. Yeah, I was gonna say. So I guess uh, in conclusion, probably there's not any money to be made live lines because uh, you're. Because the the person who's obviously winning, their number is going to be getting way higher than whatever it was when the fight started, and there's no real point getting in on it now. And like for the small risk that they may lose, and there's really no chance that the underdogs. On the flip side, the the chance of of the underdog losing, underdog actually coming back and winning is so rare it's not worth wasting money on that either yeah the only time i will say that the and this is the only time that i've ever felt enticed by mma live lines is that like if you watch a fight uh and you are on the favorite already and then the 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 underdog you know clearly edges out the first round in a way where it's clear that they won the first round sometimes you see that second round open up with weird numbers um, so like you see the favorite now is an underdog and you're like, well, right, I mean, like, yeah. he just lost a close round or maybe that underdog is still an underdog. And you're like, didn't he just win that round? He's only going to win one of the last two. So, uh, depending on how you felt about that one round, I could see that being probably the target area 
if you are a live line better. Uh, and I could be completely wrong, but that, that in between first and second rounds feels like the only time where there's enough variable to, to feel like you can still predict something in the only time where the lines could be uh, not astronomical. Because after that second round, if the same person's won both, that, that line is crazy. Yeah, it's true. Well, all this talk about underdogs, you know what that makes me think of, Dan. Underdog fantasy, of course. If you haven't played an underdog fantasy, you have to check out their fantasy best ball tournaments. They're some of the best around. This includes their best ball mania two tournament where you can win a million dollars. Plus, you can play a number of games involving parlay and player props for MLB, the NBA, and more. They also have a special NBA playoffs best ball tournament, which is underway. So go to underdogfantasy.com, use promo code SGPN. Don't forget to enter the Best Ball Mania 2 tournament where we have a chance to win. That's right, a million dollars. That's underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Um, maybe let's take a peek at these stats that I that I uh, have been running for the past what, year and a half, I guess we're up to now, um, on uh, trying to predict who is going to win a fight and, and see if we can glean anything from here that's, that's surprising or not. Um, Leading the way, the, the top predictor still of a winner of a fight is striking stats, having superior striking stats on UFCstats.com. Um, you look at a matchup between two fighters. There's four striking categories in there. Strikes significant. They're all significant strikes. Significant strikes landed um, per minute, I think it is, right? Yeah, per minute. And it, um and how many strikes a minute, and then they're striking accuracy and they're striking defense. So you got four categories there. I compare the two fighters. Whoever wins the most categories, I consider them the better striker, at least on paper. Um, and they, uh, I mark them down as, as striking being in their favor. So may, maybe kind of primitive, maybe simple, but it seems to be effective because we're at 67% now that, that um, strikers – uh, people who, who win what I just told you about actually win the fight when it, when it goes down. Now, is this surprising at all to you, Dan, or does it make sense? It makes sense. Um, you know, like, the old adage of, like, every fight starts on the feet or every round starts on the feet even is, is one that matters. Um, but I also think, too, I bet you if you took these numbers and, you know, you said you've been running them for a year and a half. I bet you if you ran these numbers uh, into – the earlier era of MMA, and I'm not talking about going back to Hoist Gracie or, or Ken Shamrock or even, you know, like Tito Ortiz, but if you ran it back to like the Brock Lesnar era, I think you would find those numbers didn't hold up. Um, you know, like I, I think you'd find a lot of guys in that era who were uh, crappier strikers, you know, almost, you know, not bad strikers, right? Brock Lesnar is a bad example, but like wrestler types like that. Um, who used to dominate a lot more, even somebody like Matt Hughes, you know, like who used to dominate a lot and not look particularly great on the feet. Um, and I'm not diminishing Matt Hughes' accomplishments on the feet. Like he, he was a fine boxer, but like, I, I think that era probably had a lot less efficient strikers. And I think we're seeing like a renaissance of the person who's really good on the feet and can just keep it there. You know, like we're seeing more and more kickboxers move back into MMA. You know, some left and came back. Some started in kickboxing. You know, you got uh, a couple of the city kickboxing guys in Israel Adesanya and Brad Riddell, who had, like, kickboxing and Muay Thai careers. Um, you know, you even have, you know, women who have, have started as kickboxers or Muay Thai specialists. You know, like Loma Lugbume uh, had, like, 100 fights on, in, in Muay Thai before she came over. And, like, there, there are a lot of... 
you know, Dustin Jacoby had like a real kickboxing career with Glory, where he, I think, won a title in Glory. Um, Chase Sherman bare knuckle boxed. Um, you know, like there, there's a whole bunch of people now who are making the switch from like high level striking arts into MMA. So I, I think it makes sense now that we're seeing like a lot of those types do well. I also think too we've we've seen and this might be a, a larger change too, we also have seen like a real shift in the body type that is most successful in the UFC. And Chunky and now, guys, right? Yeah, of course. You you have to be as <laughs> chunky as possible. No, in all honesty, like if you go back, if you go like back like 10 years, right, like there was no heavyweight who wasn't successful who didn't look like a juice box, right? Like, right. like an and, and I mean that in both senses, right? Like he was yes. shaped like an actual rectangle, like a juice box is but also looks like they're juiced to the gills, right? Like, and they might not have all been, may not have all been, uh, but, like, that was, like, the type of successful heavyweight. And then, since then, we've had, like, people who are longer and leaner and not a whole 265 pounds, like, be successful. And, and that, like, long, lean frame seems to have carried out through, like, all of the divisions as, like, I don't want to say it's the right way you should look, but, like, the, if you look at a lot of champions, a lot of them have very long frames, and it's probably because what you're talking about, like, they're able to be effective in the striking, not get hit, have better stats than the other guys when it comes to that, and keep enough distance that they don't get taken down. You know, like, even people like Aljamain Sterling, you know, and maybe he's not the best example of a champ right now, but even, <laughs> even Aljamain Sterling, like, he's got exceptional reach and, like, worked on his boxing, and that's how he beat uh, Jimmy Rivera a few fights back. So then you got Idesanya, who's really long, and, you know, like, Charles Oliveira could not be more long than he currently is, right? Like, that guy's built like a praying mantis. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think we see more and more of that, which makes sense that there has been this change to – you know, strikers having a more successful time. There you go. Um, maybe we need to lean more into picking, going with the stack. The 67% is, that's an insanely high success rate um, for winners. Now, we can't always do it because uh, often fighters are tied um, in categories. So, so there is no clear winner or there's a new person entering the octagon. So they haven't, uh, we don't have any stats for them yet. So, but I'm thinking at least, for my sake, maybe I should lean more into this because I tend to go against it more often. I go with who I feel is should win rather than what the numbers actually say on the screen here. Yeah, I definitely lean. And, and here's the bad thing about me, too, because I'm a grappler and I enjoy grappling much more. I, I tend to lean heavily on the wrestling uh, and who's going to be controlling the wrestling. Um, yeah. and, and so I think a lot of this just... Yes. A, first of all, A, we could be using this more. Second of all, I do think it just needs to be contextualized, too, because, you know, you mention it when you read off the, the stats for every fight, and you guys yeah. can hear that, of course, on Wednesday night or Thursday morning when the next episode of the uh, upcoming fight card drops. But, uh, you, you know, you mentioned when you give me those odds that you say, you know, of course, this is a very small sample size. There's only one fight. Right. Um, so when we have a sample size of, like, five fights on each side, you're right, that's probably the instance where we could lean a little bit more into this, but, like, in the those earlier fights, I think that's probably a time where they can be ignored a little bit more. On the Not on the flip side, but uh, adjacent to this, um, active strikers, I also started tracking, so fighters who land more, more punches, very simple, land more punches than their opponent. I thought this would, that would be like a slam dunk um, for, for picking winners, but 53% were only at. 
93 and 82 they are. So I was surprised by that. I figured fighter who's more active is obviously going to uh, potentially land more knockdowns and or knockouts or um, TKOs, that type of thing, or, or the judges are going to uh, go in their favor because they're more active coming forward and, and striking. But 53% uh, surprises me. Yeah, that does sound low, um, and I have no – no, no rationalization of that. I feel like I can rationalize almost anything, and I got right. I got nothing there. <laughs> yeah, well, I just thought I'd put it out there. So, um, betting favorite six six percent. That basically just tells you how good bookmakers are. And like we were, uh, we were Dan and I were saying earlier, you can trust um, you can trust uh, bookies and, and gamblers on who actually um, is going to win the fight or who is currently winning a fight uh, because they have money invested in it. So. Uh, but on the flip side of the favorites, that means you got what 34%, so about a third of the fighter of the fights on every card ends up in a underdog winning. So you, you got to try to pinpoint at least a couple of those those fights per card if you if you want to get very um, very rich and powerful and buy yourself a private island and private jet <laughs> and all that and all that stuff. So just like Dan and I have. Um, here's a surprise one: fighters that miss weight have lost. Uh, have only won 36% of the time. So that's, you'd think like the whole benefit of cutting weight is so you can theoretically be bigger than your opponent the next day in the cage, but obviously that's not the case because everybody cuts weight, so everybody's basically the same size anyhow. Um, so it's it's a almost like a nuclear arms race type of thing. Um, but fighters who actually don't, um, who come in heavy, you'd think would have an advantage because either they didn't work as hard cutting weight um, and and or the, they're they're going to be the bigger fighter the next day, but they are losing and they're only winning thirty six percent of the time. Where it's fair, it's forty five uh forty five instances too. So it's not a super small sample size at this point. Super small sample size is another good tongue twister for you. So sixteen and twenty nine. Would you find this surprising? I don't because typically you know that that narrative that pops up on Twitter every single time somebody misses weight. Uh, I I hear it every single time, and I just don't buy it, that one that, like, oh, they stopped trying to cut weight, or, oh, you know, like, they're going to be real huge because they must have put on an extra... Like, the, if you've ever cut weight doing anything, wrestling in high school, a jiu-jitsu tournament, a kickboxing match, if you've ever tried to cut weight, your body feels awful. So I can only imagine those who are doing it and not succeeding, it's got to feel even worse. Um, you you got to imagine that they you know and I, that's the way I try to think about it when I see somebody miss weight I'm like oh that that's a bad miss you know and we've even seen people pass out on the scales and even if they're not doing that and they look healthy they're not like that's just they're not there so um, yeah I I'm not surprised that that number is so low I mean it might be even a little lower than I thought but I, I would expect people who missed weight to lose more often um, plus it could be indicative. Uh, of an injury, um, that a pre-existing injury that they have coming into a fight, so they couldn't work as hard, or they couldn't work on cardio, or they they could barely train in the gym leading up to the fight. A lot of a lot of times you hear about that after the fact that a fighter came in heavy because they were injured and they couldn't get into the best shape of their life. So that's something to keep in mind also. Um, so if um, unless unless you see a line that's very favorable. Um, or a line you think is going to change very quickly into uh, less favorable for you, 
uh, I would always suggest hang hang off on betting until at least after the weigh-ins, which usually are like Friday mornings before a Saturday fight, and check out how everybody looks. Check out um, who made weight, who didn't make weight, that type of thing. Um, it's pretty, uh, you know, sixty-four uh, percent is a pretty pretty high number there for um, people missing weight to lose their fight. Um, Almost the same late replacements, already winning 63% of the time. Uh, or should, sorry, they're losing 63% of the time. 36 and 62 are late replacement fighters. Uh, that kind of feeds into the, the narrative. Um, it, obviously, there's there's different levels of late replacement. I made this anyone with less than a month to prepare for a fight. Um, there's, there's fighters who take fights on a day's notice. Uh, there's fighters who haven't been training and they take a fight in short notice. There's fighters who've actually been in training camp waiting for a fight. And, and they, and they pick up a fight sure enough. So, so there's obviously different, different, um, types of late replacement fighters, but in general, overall, uh, not to get too micro with the data, they are only winning 37% of the time. Um, I don't think this is really a big surprise at all. I don't think so either, but I think that part you mentioned about contextualizing it is so important again to like, just like when we're talking about the striking stats and whether or not those are big or small numbers, knowing what kind of late replacement I think is, is super vital, right? Like, you know, I, I picked Chris, Chris Barnett to recently win over Ben Rothwell as a massive underdog. And he was a massive underdog largely because people were talking about him being a last second replacement and being a big fatty. Um, but you also have to remember he was getting ready for a fight that took place this weekend. So, I mean, like, he got bumped up a week, had a one-week shorter training camp than he had originally intended. But that's not a huge change for him, right? The type of opponent he had changing is probably not fun, but Rothwell dealt with that too. So, um, while, while that one didn't work out for me, I'm totally fine with that kind of late replacement. Um, you could say the same thing about Montserrat Conejo, which who we've talked about <laughs> extensively. She was a late replacement in that fight with with Cheyenne Bays too, which is why she right. was a big underdog. But like she was also in training camp for a fight. So like, uh, yes, there there are late replacements that aren't the worst bets ever. Um, but like, yeah, it's not surprising that that number, especially when you include people like. Man, who did who who did David Dvorak beat the shit out of last weekend? Right, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the guy's name anymore. That, yeah, that it, poor bastard it, had like four pro fights and was taking the fight on like like twenty three hours notice. Um, like that yep. that's an obvious one, right? And like yep. at at no point would you ever even consider his giant plus number, whatever it wound up being, is is even mildly enticing. So, um, yeah, like like again, contextualizing everything is is sort of the the important game when looking at these numbers. Uh, same thing with the next thing. Younger fighters, 60%, which is uh, kind of high if you ask me. The younger fighter wins 60% of the time. I, I don't have the exact data, but I would assume the number, the, the bigger the gap in age, the larger the winning percentage for the younger fighter is also. Yeah, and I bet you if you go back in time, this used to be, uh, I bet you the gap used to be even bigger. You know, like I, like you said, it is it is 30% now, or 60% now, you said? Yeah. Um, yep. and, and I bet you if you go back a little little while longer, it used to be even more. But now, because we sometimes the UFC signs super young people, right? Like we got the Chase Hoopers of the world in there and the Macy Barbers and that type. And they always take a prospect loss somewhere in there. Whereas right. The UFC used to not sign anybody until they were 25 or 26. And then, then when you're younger at 26, you're probably also in your prime and not susceptible to that prospect loss to a 32-year-old or 33-year-old. Um, so like, I bet you that number used to be even bigger and is reverting a little bit closer to straight up even. 
Yep. There very well could be the case. Um, grappling, same as the striking stats earlier, but I did do the same with grappling, which the stats they have for grappling on ufcstats.com are, um, takedowns landed, obviously. Um, what else do they have? Submissions attempted per fight, and then they have takedown accuracy and takedown defense accuracy, uh, percentages. Um, so the grappler, 57%. So it's 10% less than, than striking. So basically, if in doubt, go with the striker, as as I, I think we've said before, even though Dan is a grappling nerd. Yeah, yeah, when in doubt, that makes <laughs> sense, but it doesn't mean I like it. No. <laughs> um, collar fighter wins 54% of the time. Um, not, not 90 and 78, so it's it's something. It's, it might be seem silly, um, but it's... You know, 54% is not bad. It's better than Dan taking on his fights. <laughs> so you're, you're telling me I should just take the tall guy every exactly. time? Exactly. If yeah. you did, you'd be better. That, that's the sad thing about it. If, if if we if I just took the younger fighter every fight, I would be at my 60% rate, which is silly. But, um, yeah, so taller fighters win 54% of the time. Uh, did active strike. Reach. Reach seems to be – you'd think it would be a big deal, but it's only 53, 53%. Fighter with the largest reach wins a fight. Uh, 30267 is the record. So, um, inching very close to, to 500 there. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, while it is, there is like a sum advantage to both the height and reach, it, they do seem to be mostly noise. Um, you know, like there, there's like, uh, again, a small advantage there, but like, I don't think it's it's super reliable as a way to regularly pick people or to decide between two people. Um, right. And again, again, not that I want to just be the person here being super boring and say contextualize everything. Um, but again, like if if somebody here is a a wrestler predominantly and they have a little bit of a reach advantage, like then then that means even less, right? Like the, right. they're not gonna be, they're not gonna use that at all. Yeah. So, but if if you see a striking battle uh, that's gonna happen, then you're gonna you may want to lean to the person with uh, with a longer reach. So, and then finally, um, this is this is the wackiest one: fighters who have been out of the octagon for at least a year are actually winning 52% of the time. They're 32 and 29, um, which does not make any sense, which may mean that, um, um, that, that annoying Dominic Cruz is actually that know-it-all is actually right here. And uh, ring rust does not exist. How can you explain this one? Can you explain this one at all? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe just maybe, uh, getting punched in the head four to five times a year might not be good for your body. Um, you know, like, and I, I've said this before too, like rest time, maybe not the worst, right? Like yeah. for, as, as far as hype goes, it's terrible. Um, yeah. you know, like there's a reason why you remember the name Kevin Holland right now. That's what I was just gonna just gonna mention him. Maybe he yeah. needs to take heed, take heed to this. Maybe we, someone needs to at him with this with his data because he has he has no time to recover and he has no time to work on his awful wrestling defense. Right. Whereas too, like you've seen guys who are right now on maybe not winning streaks, you know, the same as Kevin Holland, but on like two or three fight winning streaks, coming off a head kick knockout, who've taken a year off or more, you know, I'm going to, I'll spoil an interview I've got coming up on, on, uh, Top Turtle MMA. I, I talked with Claudio Puelles, who, you know, ask the average MMA fan if he knows who Claudio Puelles is, like, but the dude is on a two fight winning streak, including a nasty knockout in his last time out. So like, should he have more hype behind him? 
Sure should. Like, nobody, somebody should be at least know his name, which I bet you, like I said, you ask the average MMA fan who doesn't know the roster up and down, they don't. No, no ter- way. It's terrible for your hype. It's terrible for your brand. It's terrible for your wallet. But, like, you know, in all honesty, these guys probably shouldn't be fighting five times a year. It's probably awful for their bodies. There you go. See, Dan does have that's why he's on this show, everyone. He's not just a pretty face here, since you can't see his pretty face. No, it's an um, audio medium. That's it's different. an audio medium, but <laughs> still, um, he uh, he brings the goods. Like we didn't plan any of this in advance either, and I just throw things at him, and he brings the goods. So he, he could be lying half the time, but he he sounds good when he says stuff. It, Claudia Pulis may not even be a real person, but um, <laughs> I actually know the name. Uh, I, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup probably, but I do know the name. Um, but yeah, there you go. Dan brings it for you. So that's basically all, all the stats that I track. Um, oh, plus I, I track how, how I'm doing. Um, I'm at 55%. So I'm seventh out of 11 for predictors of a fight. So <laughs> I'm, I'm more, I'm a better predictor than height, active striker, reach, or uh, fighters who are fighting someone who's, who've had a year off. So I'm better than all that. So hooray for me. Um, so hopefully I gave you guys a little more insight in, in how we do things here, if you really care, how the what, what's the expression, Dan? How the we're showing you how the what is made, how the, uh, how the sausage is made. Sausage is made, right? I'm a vegan, so I do not approve <laughs> of that. Approve of that? Uh, it could be vegan sausage, maybe, but I don't approve of that. I, I may have to actually use it for a, a subtitle for our, our podcast, but nonetheless. So, hopefully, you enjoyed the look behind the curtain, uh, Wizard of Oz style, to show you who's pulling all the letters and how we're doing things here. Um, anything else behind before we head on out of here, Mr. Reland? No, I, I think you nailed it all. Uh, you know, we, we should just briefly mention that later on in the week we will be breaking down UFC Fight Night Rosenstrike versus Sakai. Right. We talked a little bit about fights. We were excited for that one. And there are some freaking weird ones on that card, too. And a lot of uh, – there's there's a couple of last-second replacements, including one guy uh, who we're going to meet for the very first time uh, in the UFC, at least, whose nickname is Robocop. Uh, Who's that? Gregory Rodriguez. He's gonna okay, be fighting. Yeah. He's gonna be fighting Dushko Todorovic. Yes, um, Dushko. Dushko. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you say it. I thought it was Dusko. So for so long, I, I know. said Dusko. Definitely on more than one podcast. I think I had him like lined up for an interview, and he like something broke down where we weren't able to do it. But oh, uh, so that's why you're calling him Dushko. His his name is actually <laughs> Dushko. That, there's like a little there's like a little arrow over the top of the end. There is. And, yeah, there apparently is. that does something to words, and I don't know. Anyway, my original point, RoboCop, his opponent, is not fighting on just short notice, but he also fought on May 21st. Oh, uh, we're going against that guy. In, M- in LFA. So, like, again, no time to recover, no time to plan, and he's going right back in and doing the same exact weight cut he did the first time. There's another late replacement in Camuelo Kirk, uh, and he's fighting Makwan Americani, which seems like a freaking nightmare to do on short notice. Um, but there's, like, a lot of fun matchups in there, you know, huge layoffs, prospects who didn't pan out and are fighting each other now, and uh, a guy who was off for 100 years and came back and looked terrible against the hot prospect. There's lots of weird dynamics on this one, so make sure you tune in uh, Wednesday night or Thursday morning, depending on uh, when that episode actually drops. It's been Wednesday night lately. Um, yeah. Because because uh, Jeff is now in charge of making sure the episodes drop on time, so they do. Uh, he's, yep. he's on top of his stuff. Um, but make sure you listen to that because that's going to be an awesome one to talk about. 
and you'll find out if we're all in on the douche or not. That's his and nickname, I, right? Isn't it the douche? I don't. I don't think it's the douche. Um, maybe, maybe if you do interview him, you can suggest if, that if, to him. That'd that be a good if, nickname. Is that a reference to? Um, no, you probably don't watch Parks and Recreation. Huh? No, I don't. No, there, there's a fake DJ, the radio DJ on that. He's, there's Crazy Ira in the Douche is the name of the radio. <laughs> and nice. uh, Nick, Nick Kroll plays the douche. Uh, well, perfect. Funny. Yeah. Nick, Kroll, Nick Kroll is funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so it should be – should be plus um, Dan buried the lead again. He made events between a thick T-H-I-C-C boy and a, and a chunky chunky lad. So we uh, – we we can't miss on that. Uh, plus, the co-main event is also a big boy heavyweight. So even though we decided Walt Harris is just a a, a big dude. Oh, and then we have Tanner Bowser versus Iller Latifi. Oh man, this is going to be such a fun. That's fight another that's another guys. thick with two C's, right? Is exactly. That, oh, Iller Latifi. Latifi. Yeah. Sledgehammer thick. He's a sledgehammer thick. Isn't his nickname Sledgehammer? I think it is. I believe it is. Oh, also the intern got on it. In uh, Dushko's nickname is actually Thunder. <laughs> He's a thunder douche. Okay, <laughs> thunder douche <laughs> Thunder douche We're gonna have a fun episode. All right, so I think we've whetted everyone's appetite enough for uh, everyone's ears are ready for uh, next week's episode. Can I hurry up and get here? So um, that'll do it for this one, episode forty-two. Hopefully, Jackie Robinson would be proud of us if he was alive today <laughs> to hear us talking the way we just talked. Um, and hopefully you guys got some some insight and you can start cashing fat fat um, betting slips or virtual betting slips. All right. In the meantime, uh, your homework. I always leave you with homework. You're uh, I assume you're all adults and you, and you um, you can do homework now. You're you're past the age where I don't think kids get homework anymore. My kids never have home, homework. It seems is, is homework a thing? Do you know, Dan? I know your kids are, are younger. They're not in it, school it yet. Is, but it is still very much a thing. Is it okay? <laughs> yeah. All right. At, at least, least in America. Yeah, at, at least up here in Canada. Here in America, we care about homework. <laughs> but as my son says, everything is is uh, homework at this point because he hasn't been in school all year. He's been virtual yeah. virtual learning, so he's w- working from home as it is. So, all right. In the meantime, your homework. Like I said, um, you can listen to Dan's podcast, Top Trade MMA podcast. Who's on this week, Mister Vreeland? This coming week. Well, the aforementioned uh, Claudio Puelles is on there. The um, fake guy, yep. Yeah, the the one who's not real. He's fighting uh, Jordan Levitt this weekend, who's you know kind of a uh, popular up and comer. So right, uh, yeah. I talked to talked to him about that fight. Um, I also have another one that might work out, but if it doesn't, uh, I have one in the chamber as well um, with a fighter from UFC 263. I interviewed Luigi Vendramini, uh, who, despite having the most Italian name in the MMA, is uh, from Brazil, and he talked about his uh, family in Brazil. So that'll either air this week along with Puelles or the week after. So keep an ear out for both of those. And Dan's got one in the chamber, so we better hurry and get this finished, right? Um, <laughs> also, Prelim Picker will be back this week, I assume. Um, it will have a amazing co-host, I'm sure, won't be as amazing as last episode, but I'm sure you have someone lined up who's very knowledgeable in the sport. Maybe not as personable, uh, but but uh, knowledgeable nonetheless, right? Yeah, they're they're knowledgeable. They're just not as not as great as my previous host. Of course, um, and read all their stuff. SportsGamblingPodcast.com. Um, we're knee deep in NBA playoffs. So we got a bunch of NBA playoff stuff. We got your baseball stuff. We got football never ends for you Americans. So obviously, there's there's tons of football on there and horse racing seems to be uh popular every month so 
Uh, I think there's another, I think the Belmont Stakes is coming up, so we'll have uh, articles on that. Our horse racing guy, Malcolm, who also hopes, hosts the MOB podcast, he nailed the, even though the horse ended up being a cheater, he, he nailed the um, the winner of that that Kentucky Derby thing and Majig they did a few weeks or months ago, so he knows what he's talking about. So check out the stuff there and go to MMA-Manifesto.com, obviously. Uh, make sure you enter the Pick'em Contest, which will be going live on Monday. Um, Sports Gambling Podcast is actually sponsoring it, and they're giving away a $50 gift card to whoever you want. So make sure you hop on there. Player contest at the very least. Um, check out the awesome articles that Dan and myself and got a bunch of other writers all around the world that are contributing to the site. So hop on there. And I think that pretty much about does it. Dan made me, I think Dan made me do the buy last time. The buy. <laughs> I just said the buy. I think I think I need to stop talking. I'm going to let Dan do the buy now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am David Gooby Freeland. He is Arctic Jex Fox, Jack Sox, Jack Sox, something like that. Jeff Fox. Uh, and we'll see you next week.